You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for downloading this special edition of the Attacking Scrum podcast. This is a preview to the Wales-South Africa game on Saturday and we caught up with Ben Pegner, the coaching consultant who you may remember from a couple of weeks ago. Really interesting, nice, knowledgeable bloke and uh, if you haven't listened to that podcast, make sure you do go back and have a listen to that. It covers everything from learning coaching techniques with Jose Mourinho through to his playing days in Kafili. Uh, via sharing a flat with Tom Shanklin. That's a really good listen. But because Ben had both played and coached in South Africa, uh, most recently with the Bulls this year, we thought it was a great chance to catch up with him and uh, preview the game against the Springboks. So big thanks to Ben for uh, giving us some more of his time. Uh, Thanks as always to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Uh, If you want to grab yourself some great coffee, head over to socoffeetrades.co.uk. And of course, thanks to you, for listening and for supporting the podcast this whole time. Right, hope you enjoy it. So following on from Wales' victory this weekend, all eyes now head to Cardiff in what promises to be a mouth-watering encounter against South Africa. Wales have everything to play for, an opportunity to complete a much-heralded autumn clean sweep, but the Springboks will, of course, pose a massive threat. Now, joining me to do this and to preview that game is a man who knows South African rugby very, very well, having played and coached over there, uh, having made his debut himself on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. To welcome back, Ben Pegner. How are you doing, Ben? Hey, Jade. Not bad, thanks. How are you? Uh, I'm all right, yeah. Stumbling over stumbling over my words there. But, uh, yeah, great to have you back on again. And we're going to be looking specifically at the, uh, the Wales-South Africa game as part of this podcast and uh, yeah I've seen you've made a furious amount of notes you've come way more, <laughs> way more prepared into this than anyone ever does uh, onto this podcast so looking forward to uh, to getting stuck into that um, I suppose the first thing we wanted to ask you is having been in you know big coaching environments yourself how much of this week leading up to a big game will be dedicated to examining the opposition and how much is concentrating on your own game yeah it's a great question um, I think uh 
first and foremost, you, you want to do what you do really well. Mm-hmm. You want to concentrate on what your strengths are and play to your strengths. And then, obviously, you want to attack a couple of key weaknesses that you, you, you think that the opposition have. So you'll identify a couple of things, but you don't want to uh, fill the guys' heads with too much information and analysis. Yeah. You know, the reviews from last weekend will be primarily about good stuff, what, what they did well, uh, looking at things that, you know, 90% of it, so that they've got good memories going forward into training yeah. this week and, and then making the things that they've been working on and building the last few weeks, making them better. And then only a couple of things that they'll be specific about about the spring box, and then that will be dependent on the position as well for for the guys. Some guys that's obviously more relevant, you know. So yeah. so the line out, for example, they'll be looking at specifics, um, what what the spring box do, um, and then maybe the kicking game and stuff like that for the halves. Um, other guys will look at the individual opponent. You know, does he step here? Does he do that? What's yeah. his go-to thing? Um, but it won't be too much of that. It will be more on what you do well. And I suppose as well, we were just chatting off air about the. Uh, the Tonga game which I was very positive about because it's not often you know Wales have historically laboured to victory in those games and you were pointing out kind of quite a few um, I guess a few glitches in in the Wales defence particularly going into going into that half time break I suppose because it's going to be a completely different side you know it's going to be back to back to the first choice teams if you were Warren Gatland or Sean Edwards would you then like you say be concentrating on those positives just to try and go look we went out and put 70 points on a on a test nation with our with our second string yeah yeah I, I think you know I think the nature of it is that you do focus on those positives mm. you, you, you know the guys who are really good I think they do that I think they they don't dwell on the, the negatives you know it's, it's very much okay we're focused on what we, we've done well what can we take out of it what were the good things that we'll, we'll work on and do again and yeah. you know just quick fixes of, of the things that we didn't do so well and areas to grow you know uh, some of that you know that middle or that, the second 20 in the first half I think is you know maybe um you know, there's things that can be fixed there. They're easily addressed with guys, maybe one or two little errors that with guys who haven't got as much, much experience. And then, you know, they didn't get the rub of the green. They they lost the line out here or whatever it might yeah. be in a certain situation. And before you know it, in international rugby, you're defending off five meters from your own line. And you know, when you've got big guys, there, there wasn't a lot of deception, was there, with the Tongans? But no. But with, with you know, when you've got big guys and they're doing something simple, then you know anything can happen. In a way, is that kind of good preparation for those players who will have been involved? You know, because I suppose yes, of course, South Africa will bring more deception, but at the same time, you're going to expect a big physical encounter. Yeah, um, I, I didn't read too much into that, Tom. Yeah, yeah, to be honest with you, because I, I think probably if I'm the coach of, if I'm the Welsh coach, I'm thinking, you know, I know pretty much who my you. You've got so many different thoughts that you're thinking. You're thinking. We've, we're three from three, which is which is great. You know, we've played okay, but we've mm-hmm. not played amazingly well. But we're still winning, and that's always a sign of a good team. Um, we've blooded some guys, and we've seen some guys step up. You know, and and, and you know, we've given guys debuts, and they've, you know, Jonah Holmes comes in and takes you yeah. know all those high balls and does really well. Uh, and you know, other guys have just got a bit more you know um, experience at test level. So you, you're just going, okay, great that we got the win, and obviously pulled away conditioning wise from massive you know that's I think it was 24 all after 45 minutes wasn't it and then they just pulled away so there's obviously things bef- before that that you want to look at but you're always looking at the positives aren't you mm. and, and I think Warren Gatlin knows what his best team is you know primarily like with one or two mm. positions 
So he's thinking, great. Well, who who can I add to it from that that the tests against Tonga? You know, because there's a lot of, there was a lot of eye catching tries, particularly in that second half. You know, a lot of breaks from from deep within um, the Welsh half that you know were like I say eye catching is probably the word. You know, there was a lot of exciting tries scored there. I suppose the temptation as a fan is to look at it and go, oh yeah, this is this is great. This is why exactly why you need Patchell on there. But I. I guess the reality if you're Gatland is yes it's good I'm glad he's made an impact off the bench but playing South Africa is a completely different ball game yeah it's it's so different you know and it's it's you've got to respect the Tongans and the Samoans and the Fijians because they all those Pacific Islands are, are so good but they don't have long enough together mm. they, they've thrown together they've played all over the world they haven't got the same benefit of coming together for camps some guys play in Britain some guys in France some in Japan they get thrown together they got a couple of weeks. They play the French Barbarians, and then they got to play a Test match in Cardiff. Yeah. You know, it's 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 always going to happen with that. The second half, with the last thirty, especially um, with the, the the strength and conditioning benefits that teams like Wales have, and and that their experience mm-hmm. as well, and and being able to increase tempo or maintain tempo is always going to cause those teams loads of problems in the second half. And everybody knows that, so it's, there's not much bearing on it once the game gets broken up, I don't think. You know, there's obviously individuals. You can only beat who is in front of you, can't yeah. you? It's like that cliche. So you know, I'm not being critical at all. You know, they did a good job yeah. for what was in front of them. Um, but And again, you can't be critical of the Tongans because... They're, they're backs against the wall it's, it's, it's a system that's a bit yeah. broken to be honest with you no I, I would definitely agree with that and I think for the you know for the purposes of growing the game we want to see a competitive Tongan side you know because yeah. how much how much more interesting would that be knowing whatever games they go into they've got a half decent chance of winning it rather than yeah. almost playing it as an invitation well, yeah game. exactly I and mean, that's another massive conversation isn't it they yeah. need to be playing tier one opposition regularly you know and then they'll they'll kick on won't they but if you're not then it's it's extremely difficult isn't it same for all the, the Pacific Island nations you know um, and the other tier two nations as well but no I think I think against the South Africans it's going to be a different proposition yeah I think it's going to and they know that and it will be a completely different vibe in camp all week I reckon um, not least because they're unbeaten in the autumn, and uh, you know it's a great opportunity to beat the Springboks. You know. What would you say? Because obviously South Africa have, will come into this game um, on the back of a relatively tough test against Scotland. You know, yeah. I think that's a, that's a good result. Yeah. You're saying off air how hard Scotland are to to beat at home. Yeah. Wales, on the other hand, have had I don't know. I suppose the the luxury of being able to rest some key players. You think Alan Wynne Jones. Jonathan Davis, these kind of these kind of key figures. Again, if you were coaching, which scenario would you rather be in? Would you rather have the players having come and be battle hardened, having played a tough test against Scotland, or would you rather them kind of fully fully fit and refreshed and having had a rest? Yeah, I think it just depends how many games you've had together. But just having the one week off, you know, it wasn't like they've played loads of rugby up until, mm. you know, if it's uh, the one week off wouldn't have done the guys any harm. That will do them some good. They wouldn't have lost any conditioning or anything like that. Yeah. Um, the South Africans will, you know, there will be a couple of guys picking up injuries, you know. Because um, they're coming off the back of a long season. They're a massive yeah. season. Yeah. So they played the June test against England. You know, they had three tests there. Then they played the whole rugby championship. You know, and and but then that's on the back of after a massive Super Rugby. Yeah. People don't appreciate how much travel you do those sixteen rounds in the Super Rugby. It, it's it's insane. You know, you you just one minute you're playing the Sunwolves in Singapore, then you're back, then you're going to New Zealand, then yeah. you're back in Buenos Aires, then you're you're back home. You got three tests in one minute. You're at sea level, then you're back at altitude. It's 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 crazy. Yeah. So so they'll be 
they're at the end of a long year. But the good thing is you can see what Rassi Erasmus has done mm. in the last 12 months. You look at some of the nations who've been together, they've had the luxury of being together for the last three years, have less certainty about their combinations than the Springboks have, have now. In the space of 12 months, he has certainty around sort of 80% of his team, I reckon. You know, he knows his best front row. Probably debate around his best second row, but mm. almost there. He's probably but again, it's from four guys. From four really yeah. quality players. Amazing, yeah, yeah. It's he, the it's the kind of selection dilemma you want because 100%. you've got you've got strength and depth. Yeah, and, and so so he's probably thinking, oh, it's a, you know, he, he won't be thinking it's a disadvantage that we've had another game to yeah. gel those combinations against Scotland. And I think this, I think the Springboks have only got five games until the World Cup. Mm. But obviously, they don't have a Six Nations. Yeah, I think it's a, if not a rugby championship, it's the shortened rugby championship next year so I think he's only got four games before this first game on the 21st of September uh, September at the World Cup which is against the All Blacks yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so he's thinking so it's, it's an interesting one yeah. Wales are at home the best you know great opportunity to go and beat in an autumn they're eight from eight South Africa are on a roll they've just beaten Scotland and Murrayfield who only you know they won ten of their last eleven games at Murrayfield and yeah. South Africa win um, and South Africa have only got five games until the World Cup so it's you know who's got more at stake it's really they've both got a lot to play for yeah which again it hasn't always been the case these awesome games you no. know again I've been there on some some pretty limp occasions and this one really does feel like there's there's so much to play for for, for yeah. both sides yeah massive especially as you some of those combinations are really settling mm. even they weren't as settled two weeks ago against France you know so you look at the centre pairing um yeah, Damien Delende and, and um, Jesse Creel they're starting to form a combination you know um, and, you, and it feels a bit more settled um, the wings obviously are more settled you know you know you're back three more the front row with um, Stephen Kitsoff and Marks and, um, yeah. and Franz Mulherba you know that you can see that they're getting more and more settled so it's, it's yeah it's impressive and you mentioned Jesse Creel there obviously that's a player you've coached you know you've you've had an opportunity to so yes, yeah, see him kind of really close up. What is it that that he really brings to the South African lineup? Yeah, um, he 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 is a world class guy. You know, it's one of these cliches that good guys, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, we hear these cliches in culture when people talk about mm. environment and culture. He is a, a, he is just a champ. He's just a champion guy. You know, he's got a, a champion mindset. He rocks up at training six o'clock in the morning every day, wants to be better. He's leading everything that he does. He's just so so positive and that's before any of his physical attributes yeah. so his mindset is just I am going to win I am his attention to detail his work ethic and that's before the you know you look at him he's he's just so dedicated physically into in, to honing his craft being the best he can be um, he, he is just yeah and he's a great guy really really good guy honest hard working guy who would you know be an attribute to any 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 team any environment and another player you've um, you've coached from within that back line as well, Andre Pollard, really does seem like they've they've found the ten who's gonna who's gonna help them kick on there after you know I guess a, a period of uncertainty. Yeah, yeah, those two are world class. I, I don't think I think they could easily. I think that's a, again, it's a phrase that gets thrown around quite yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, it does. So, Andre, why I say he's world class, he is. I remember speaking to him in April this year, and it was on a Friday at Loftus before uh, I think playing the Highlanders, you know, there in, in the Super Rugby game. 
and he doesn't he didn't do any sh- shots at goal and I'm just walking around Loftus with him asking him okay well you know what's talk, talk, you know I'm really intrigued mm. you know because he's played a World Cup semi and he's done all these things and he's only just 24 now yeah. I think you know um, and, he, and he's just so so calm so cool and collected and he maintains that he's, he's brilliant under pressure but he's got all the attributes you need he, he can make a break he can he can step off both feet. He can take a line on. He can accelerate. But that I mean, obviously they're, they're not the key attributes for a ten. He, mm. he can manage a game. He can kick. He can do all those things. But defensively, he he, he smashes people. He smokes people. Um, you know, he, so yeah, he's he's brilliant. So he can yeah. And as a typical sort of, if you're looking at World Cups to win a World Cup, and one of the key things you need, you need a goal kicker. Yeah. He's metronomic. Um, he, he fits that bill calm under pressure great defensively if South Africa lose him then you know that's you're talking a completely different team it does feel like a, like Yankees I presume is probably still the would be the, the second choice um, outside half it's a very different game and he's probably struggled to, to make an impact at international level yeah I think fair comment yeah it's a difficult one because Swayze De Brain is the assistant coach running the attack for the Springboks he knows Elton Janchi's mm. really well from the Lions. He's been his coach for the last four or five years at the Lions. Knows him really, really well. Gets the best out of him. Um, and he's mercurial when he plays well. And, he, and he, you know, people would say he's struggled to make that step yeah. up. Damien Willemser, who is the really young fly half who's played for Western Province and the Stormers this year, played at fullback the other week. He's probably, I think, going to be the second choice ten going into okay. the World Cup. Yeah. I think he'll develop as the second choice ten, but they'll play him a lot in other positions initially to get him game time and experience, so that, that he's in and around that twenty-three, and then he'll step in. And I think you'll see the scenario where he comes in maybe as the ten, and and uh, Andre moves to twelve um, with Jesse at thirteen, and then you've got, you know, that that Pollard Creel combination is is really good. I think you know Jesse is far from the finished product mm. I, I, that's what's scary why, why I said maybe world class is a bit is a big statement but I think yeah, he's 23 <laughs> interesting they're talking about Creel and Pollard and both were heavily involved at the, at the 2015 Rugby World Cup both still under 24 or you know just turned 24 in Ballard's case I suppose how much is that experience at the, at the highest level at that young age that's going to be pretty crucial going into these big games because you've experienced not only the intensity of test match rugby but also the mental toughness that's, that's required to play at that level yeah 100% 100% I think obviously every people talk about that Eddie Jones is a big fan of that stat you know you need 600 to 800 mm. caps to, to, to win a World Cup you know and Jake White first started speaking about that when they won in 2007 you need that experience but if you've got that in World Cup semi-finals finals yeah. and that type of arena then it's only going to be it's invaluable isn't it but if you think about it I think Jesse Creel's not been used particularly well by previous coaches He's he's not received you know I don't think he's been used to maximise his potential. He's only twenty three anyway. Yeah. You know he's not going to maximise his potential yet. But if you think with Swayze Brain coaching and Rassi Erasmus, how much more are they going to get from him? How much more in a settled team? How much more when he starts playing? You know another twenty tests or whatever with the, the guys like Andre Pollard around him and um, Damien Deande. Yeah, they're going to be really really effective. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting one. And, you know, again, 
not just the World Cup, but big games like this, big test matches like Wales are facing on Saturday. Again, it's going to be mouthwatering to watch, you know, uh, to watch Jesse Creel up against Jonathan Davis, who again is a player who had a lot of experience at a relatively young age. You know, he's been playing test match rugby for close to ten years now, including you know two Lions tours and stuff like that. So I mean that yeah. that in particular, I think, could be a mouthwatering battle. Yeah, you forget that, don't you, about yeah. Jonathan Davis? Uh, yeah, he's slightly different. So yeah. so so Jesse Creel is. Uh, Pretty direct, pretty attritional. Um, I don't know in terms of gas. He, he's quick, you know, because Jesse can play on the wing. Um, John Davies, he's, he's really good with that, you know, that that wiper, you know, with that left yeah. when he wants to clear, when he wants to use that. That's a threat as well. Obviously, balance runner. Yeah, really good. I think um, the, the and they're both players similar type of defence as well. I think the South African defence. So Jesse Creel is integral to that defence now. And he's comfortable. He plays the same defensive system or very similar to what they do at the Bulls with that that sort of blitz, the high line defence where you really get in the eye of the, the opposition yeah. 10. So you push up in that 13 channel and you appear to close off that the options outside the 10. Um, and, and he's really good at doing that. So yeah, that, that would be interesting to see how Wales deal with that. Because it's something that gets mentioned a lot in the modern game is how important your 13 is to your defensive line. Yeah. Can you explain just a little bit from a coach's perspective why that, why that is? <laughs> I think it's the hardest place to defend. Yeah. You know, so if you think about it from a line-out, it's pretty scary. Uh, well, <laughs> when, you play, when you first phase, it's, you, it's, it's the hardest bit to defend. Yeah. Start, you know, if you think about it, because uh, depending where you are on the field, if you're in the opposition half, you haven't you you haven't got the same numbers as them. Your fullbacks back covering a kick. Your wings is you, you know your open side wing is slightly dropped covering a kick. He'll be you know, and then you might be operate, operating a pendulum with your blind side winger or something like that. You know, as people move around. So straight away from a numbers point of view, you, you're disadvantaged. If it's a scrum, and you're defending a say a twenty meter blind side or something like that. And their eight can pick and go, you know, so they could do, you know, it depends what happens at the scrums, the eight can go pass to the nine. And before you know it, you can be outnumbered. So you've got to number off really well. on yeah. that. On, so do you go plus one on that blind side um, when, when it's like your defensive left hand scrum and they can pick and go to the right, you know, it's, it's, but in terms of general picture, it's really difficult as a 13, especially now with all the second man plays and people running the block lines because you're, if you've got to deal with the front door runner first, that front runner first, so everybody talks about guarding that front door mm. first before then thinking about pushing. So if you push too high, you'll miss that front runner. You've got to stay square. You can't get your hips facing inwards otherwise, or you can't sit on your heels. You're thinking about the picture outside you as well. So do you compress and is your winger with you and is he connected coming up high with you? Or, you know, so it's... Um, you're making a lot of decisions and, and, and what the opposition and attack are trying to do, they're trying to give you two legitimate options down your channel. They're yeah. trying to give you that front door option with the back door option so that you have to make that decision and, you know, am I going to bite in on this guy and, and expose myself here and, you know, what, what, what have I left open? Am I making the right read? So you're yeah. doing that obviously in a split second. So. <laughs> and it's that, it's that balance, isn't it? Because like you say, it's, there's the, all those decisions to be made so there's the the real thinking aspect that goes into it, but then, like you say as well, there there are occasions where you're just going to have you're going to have a massive opposite number steaming into you as well. Yeah, so it's like it's, yeah, you can't it's you can't be hesitant. Can you? Yeah. yeah, if you're on that gain line and you're flying up, I think when they do it best is is when they're really aggressive, and I think that suits you know Jesse Creel and those guys anyway. Andre, you know, if they fly up hard, um, it, where it's a bit different is 
if they if you come up hard but stay square and you stay quite straight, I think that the Springboks, especially in Scotland, they they came up hard and they were exposed a couple of times. And I think Wales will look to do this on the weekend. They'll look to go out the back and use the second man plays. They'll probably do two second man plays in a row and try and go around the thirteen. Yeah. So they'll they'll try and find a disconnect between the thirteen and the winger, and they'll try to go out the back and then out out the back again. You know, and use those front runners as decoys. When Southampton did it against Scotland at the weekend, so they came up, but then they they angled inwards as well, and they turned their hips inwards, and I thought that exposed them a bit, and it wasn't always necessary. When um, the really good try that uh, I think it Peter Horn scored mm. for Scotland, um, they, that's what happened. They came in and they couldn't get man and ball. I think it was Jesse Creel couldn't get man and ball on Hugh Jones. He got that pass away. They attacked up the left-hand side, and then they you know they got a few more passes and they scored. Um, and that's what Wales will be looking to do. So that could be a potential option. And again, you kind of all all roads seem to lead to this thirteen channel at the moment, don't they? But again, if you can get half a yard of space for for Jonathan Davis, not only is he so strong and he's kind of deceptively quick, but he's got that massive fend on him as well. That that can yeah. be that can be you know match match winning tries made. Yeah, right there. yeah. I think um, in in terms of one of the areas they'll be looking to exploit, they'll definitely. I, I'd imagine that they will be thinking, yeah, we've got to get round the back, use those second man plays, you know, the, the block play, but use the decoy. Yeah, go go back, go out the back door and go round them. Yeah, and try and exploit that space and. That's always hard to defend anyway. So, and the nature of it is the Springboks come up so high that they do leave that. The other option that does leave though is also crossfield kicks as well. So, depending if it's bigger or Anscombe, that does open up that crossfield kicking opportunity yeah. if they come up so high. Um, depends if Deontay and, and well, and both, both of those both of those players when we've seen them play this um, this autumn have looked to utilise that against whoever they've been playing. We saw Anscombe do it against uh, against Scotland and against. Uh, and against Australia and bigger look to do it quite a few times against against Tonga as well so yeah. again you would expect that to be part of the part of the playbook I'd, I'd imagine so especially you know um, I think the kicks might be a bit deeper mm. and turn Gianti and Nkosi a bit I think um, you know they're, they're, they're quite good tactically going forward they both exploited England with the crossfield kicks but uh, a couple of times they've been exploited themselves defensively when they've had to turn and kick or, or take high balls. Mm. So I think um, there might be enough hang time for, to get a challenge, you know, that type of kick as opposed to the, the sort of low trajectory flat crossfield kick. And again, obviously it's something that Wales have have done pretty much all the time under Gatlin's tenure is look to keep the ball in play. Um, would you expect to see more of that come Saturday? So kicking long and the and the kicks to contest but keeping the ball on the field rather than rather than uh, kicking the ball out and then looking to to put pressure on the line out yeah it's a, it, it's a really interesting one because the line out the springbok line out hasn't been firing as well as mm. you know everybody saw it um, they were critical about mark and marks uh, a couple of weeks ago um, and you're used to having a massive dominant set piece from the springboks and you've got at least four good second rows there i think ebenezer is injured though um, still so you know but the guys that started Mostert was immense at the weekend against Scotland in the loose um, uh, Snayman was really really good um, but they weren't great at lineup time mm. you know they had to throw to the front a couple of times um, and that limits your attacking options especially if you've got um, even Van Zyl and Papier playing at nine um, and then and, and so you've got fewer options from the line out uh, it improved when Ludiaga came on he comes on he normally calls the line out and he's he's a bit more 
uh, there's there's an assuredness when he comes on. So I'm I'm wouldn't be surprised. He's had a couple of niggles, I think. But if he starts, then I think their lineup will go better. But I think Wales will look to target the lineup. So I wouldn't really? be surprised. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. The thing is, again, going into going into the Australia game, much was made about the Australian lineout misfiring and yeah. how Wales had had the most successful line out in world rugby up until that point based yeah, on, like, again I, I don't know how much you can read into those stats yeah, yeah. but um, but yeah certainly Australia did look a bit shaky but yet again we saw the we saw Wales looking to, to keep the ball in field rather than trying to target it yeah it's, it's one of those ones isn't it so test match rugby you know it's it's everybody every international coach talks about pressure momentum mm. building pressure you know scoreboard ticking over etc yeah. all the all the cliches so you, you're going to win it by real fine margins. So if you go to the opposition 22, you know, if you're the All Blacks, you're going to go sort of average nine times a match. You're going to be more efficient going there. You're going to, they average something like three and a half points per visit that they do to the 22. That's their stat. Most teams, I think it's under three. It's like two and a half. Mm. So Wales will want to go. I think they will look to exploit the lineup, but I don't think it's going to be massive. Like they're going to out more them because I think the, the Springbok more is is pretty decent but I think as a way of attacking and launching attack off the line out I think yeah. that could be used and exploited I, I don't think the Springbok line out is firing as well as it has done in the past or can do um, but yeah it's, it's you know against against Scotland um, the Springboks scored um, they came back they, they, they I can't remember what happened after that I think they received the kickoff there mm. was a line out and then it was a it was a they'd lost the line-out on their own ball and it was a poor line-out and then Scotland got possession off that phase they went wide and Vili LaRue tried to do the intercept he was sin-binned Scotland kicked the points so suddenly you, you've, they, they've scored in the, in the space of a minute South Africa where normally they would have scored mm. and then just relieved you know, pressure in their own half instead what's happened is they've had a line-out in their own half which they've lost, which they never know, and suddenly they're three points. They've they've conceded three points and lost a man to the sin bin. So it's one of those ones where you know the lineups might cancel each other out from the opposition team, but suddenly you know you've it's all about that pressure and momentum, and they've they've lost a bit of momentum and they've succumbed to some pressure. One thing I wanted to finish on, and this is something that I don't know. I've, I've always kind of struggled to get my head around uh, when it comes to when it comes to not just rugby but all sports, and that's home advantage. Now. Again, you talked about Scotland and the, the amazing record that they've had at, at Murrayfield, that one defeat coming against New Zealand in a game they, they almost pulled off the unthinkable. Um, now, Wales, historically, a lot of sides have said they really enjoy playing at the Millennium. They like the atmosphere. They like the roof closed. I almost think like that. Is there a case for saying that that's something that, that South Africa can kind of raise their game to? Or is it one of those things that that it is definitely still an advantage to be playing at home oh man I'm t- oh, <laughs> I'm torn on that one you know? yeah. I, I, can't, I can't see it as a massive advantage to be honest with you I, I think it's, unless you go to somewhere it's really intimidating yeah you know like, uh, yeah there might be an advantage so when you come to say Loftus or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. you know in your Pretoria and it's packed it's, it's not intimidating but it's it's at altitude yeah. and there's certain benefits to it you know then that, and that's quite daunting maybe but going to work, like going and playing in front of whatever, mm. how many thousand people in an amazing arena, the guys and they'll be just that'd be exciting. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think and and that the nature of the beast when you get to that level is, 
they'll use anything to motivate them. They, they, those types of players aren't going to be intimidated by anything or put off by a few thousand people shouting it. You know, it just doesn't. <laughs> they're, they're they're there in that arena because they rise to the occasion because that motivates them. So, I I I can only speak from my you know personal from what I've seen in from co- players I've coached. They they just get up for it. You know, I think it was probably like facing the hacker. You know, it was like probably you know it'd be amazing. Yeah, you know, it's not going to intimidate you. You know, if you're that good, if you're playing in a test rugby, you're not going to get intimidated by the hacker. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I don't see that. So I just see it as a as a privilege to play in an amazing arena, and both teams will be loving it. You know. Last question then. Prediction for this game. I think it's going to be really tight. I think it could go either way. I think it'll be a three to six point win. Um, if Faf de Klerk and Andre Pollard play together. I think the Springboks will win by three to six points. If Hundred Pollard doesn't play or something, you know, I think then they'll struggle. I think it's three to six points for Wales. Okay, well, let's hope uh, let's hope your first prediction is <laughs> wrong anyway. But Ben, it's been great having you on. Thanks for joining us again. Cheers, Jay. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Podcast Network.